Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. No debt ceiling? Why not? Dozens of House Democrats say they've had enough of the partisan battles that threaten default, but critics cry foul on borrowing without limits. First being fired for not getting the COVID vaccine and now having to pay back a signing bonus. Some former service members say they owe money to the government. Another deadly shooting in California. This time seven people are dead and one wounded. We bring you what's known so far about the killings. Near the border, military barriers erected to keep school children safe from smugglers. Record numbers of suspected terrorists entering the country. We bring you analysis from a former ICE agent. A new estimate shows COVID-19 deaths in just one Chinese city outnumber the official national total. And in more areas, funeral product makers say caskets are running out of stock. Eliminate the debt ceiling. That's what dozens of House Democrats would like to do. They're calling for unlimited borrowing so the government can spend whatever it needs. Entity's Daniel Monahan has more on their proposal. It can't be negotiated over whether or not we're going to pay our bills. The federal government hit its borrowing limit of more than $31 trillion last week. The Treasury Department was forced to employ extraordinary measures to help cover the government's obligations until June, when these tools run out. Representative Bill Foster has long sought for a way to avoid this debt ceiling showdown. There's some mechanism where it would never be the limiting factor that would cause us to default. Foster likened the threat of default to eating out on the town. The whole situation is sort of analogous to refusing to pay for a meal after you've eaten it. The congressman has proposed legislation titled End the Threat of Default Act. The proposal was co-sponsored by 42 House Democrats, including Representatives Rashida Tlaib and Pramila Jayapal. Here's Jayapal on MSNBC. This is just about paying our bills. We should just do it. Karine Jean-Pierre discussed the debt ceiling at a press briefing. It is something that should be happen- that should be done without conditions. There should be we should not be negotiating around it. This is not the first time Democrats have discussed abolishing the debt ceiling. More than two dozen House Democrats called for increasing the debt limit unilaterally or removing the federal limit entirely back in October. Meanwhile, Republicans have called for a debt prioritization plan. It calls for a reduction in the record growth of federal spending before allowing an increase in the debt ceiling. In related news, some economists and Democratic lawmakers have floated the idea of minting a $1 trillion platinum coin in recent years. They envision the coin deposited in its bank account at the Federal Reserve. Politicians would then be able to withdraw from the account and fund government spending. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, speaking on CNBC, is skeptical. It's really a gimmick, and what's necessary is for Congress to show that um, the world can count on America paying its debts. Critics say the coin would only possess a face value of $1 trillion rather than maintain any intrinsic value. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Some service members reportedly have to pay back their signing bonuses after they were fired for not taking the COVID vaccine. It's for a purported failure to fulfill their contract. Here's more. Numerous U.S. service members were fired for not complying with the Pentagon's COVID-19 vaccine mandate. Fox News now reports that some of the fired soldiers say they have to pay back their original signing bonuses. 
One said he signed a six-year contract with a $7,000 signing bonus. After the military fired him, he says he was notified that he owes the government around $4,000 because he didn't complete the six years. The Army soldiers said he had to sell 60 of his unused vacation days to cover the amount. He told Fox News, quote, I've deployed multiple times, and I feel like the last thing I had was selling leave days that I earned and was never able to take. I was about to enter a new world with no income, and that extra bit would have been a nice buffer in my rainy day fund to keep me afloat until I was able to find new employment. Another service member said these kinds of acts are the reason for currently low enlistment numbers. In his words, the Department of Defense continues to fall short on reestablishing trust for wrongdoings, and this is yet another example of that. He added that the individuals who make public statements that they are unsure what has contributed to the current recruiting and retention shortfalls need to take a look in the mirror, and perhaps they should resign for the betterment of our nation. In December, President Biden signed a defense policy bill that repealed the military's vaccine mandate. Over 8,000 service members have been fired for not taking the vaccine. Some lawmakers pushed for back pay for these soldiers. However, last week the Pentagon said this. We are not currently pursuing back pay to service members who were uh, dismissed for refusing to take the COVID vaccination. NTD reached out to the Department of Defense for comment, but didn't hear back before broadcast. Concerns and controversy are swirling around a decision by the Federal Aviation Authority, or FAA. They changed the heart test limit for pilots late last year without official announcement. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more. The FAA's change involves the PR interval. The PR interval represents the time it takes for an electrical impulse to travel from one part of the heart to another. It is an indicator of heart health. Pilots with PR intervals longer than 200 milliseconds used to require further evaluation. After the change, that now happens when the pilot's PR readings go beyond 300 milliseconds. Cardiologist Thomas Levy referred to a 30-year Harvard study from 2009. The study reports that those with a PR level just above 200 milliseconds had twice the chance of atrial fibrillation, had three times the chance of having a bad enough arrhythmia or heart block to require a pacemaker insertion, and a 50% chance increase of death from all causes. Critics fear that expanding the limit could endanger pilots' health and passenger safety, especially with rising reports of cardiac arrest and sudden death since the COVID pandemic began in 2020. Myocarditis pre-pandemic and myocarditis post-pandemic are two completely different diseases. Some researchers suggest that certain heart conditions could be tied to after-effects of COVID-19 injections or the virus. Pilot Robert Snow believes his cardiac arrest is connected to the vaccine he was forced to take. This despite already having natural immunity from previously contracting the virus. Mandatory, no questions asked, get the shot or you're fired. On the new EKG standard, the FAA said, when making changes to medical requirements and guidance, the FAA follows standard processes based on data and science. Dr. Peter Chambers says changing the PR interval limit removes the safety zone that enables catching a problem early. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. A former high-level FBI official was charged in two separate indictments yesterday. Charles McGonigal was head of counterintelligence for the FBI's New York field office. 
He played a lead role in investigating now-discredited allegations of collusion between former President Trump's 2016 presidential campaign and the Russian government. He's now accused of violating U.S. sanctions, conspiracy, and money laundering. It's alleged he was working with a Russian oligarch after his retirement. He pleaded not guilty through his attorney. McGonagall is also being accused of concealing hundreds of thousands of dollars while working for the FBI. That's in a separate case out of Washington. It's alleged he took the money from a former employee of an Albanian intelligence agency. Prosecutors say he was required to disclose overseas travel and contacts with foreign nationals. An initial court appearance on those charges is set for Wednesday. Here's what McGonagall's lawyer had to say yesterday. Mr. McGonagall has had a long day, uh, but he was released. We expected him to be released. He's entered a plea of not guilty. The government said they're going to turn over discovery um, in the next few weeks, which we look forward to reviewing. You know, Charlie, as you all know, Charlie's had a long, distinguished career with the FBI. He served in the United States for decades. We'll review the evidence. We'll closely scrutinize it. and. Uh, We have a lot of confidence in Mr. McGonagall. The Justice Department says McGonagall tried to have sanctions on Oleg Deripaska lifted. The U.S. imposed sanctions on the Russian billionaire in 2016. That was for acting on behalf of a senior official in the Russian government and for operating in the Russian energy sector. Trump responded to news of the indictment on True Social. He said, the FBI guy after me for the Russia hoax was just arrested for taking money from Russia. The Supreme Court has invited the Biden administration to give input on laws in Florida and Texas. The laws allow users to sue large social media companies over censorship. NetChoice is a coalition of trade associations representing Twitter, Facebook, Google, and other social media and e-commerce companies. It brought the case challenging the state's laws. Both state laws have been temporarily blocked. The cases are disputes between the freedom of expression of individual Americans against the rights of social media platforms to make editorial decisions about content. The Supreme Court is considering hearing the cases, but first invited the Justice Department to give its view. It effectively delays the court's decision on whether to review the cases. Another shooting in California yesterday. Seven people are dead. One was injured. The attacks took place in Half Moon Bay at two locations. They are farming facilities about a mile apart. One was a mushroom farm, the other a trucking company. Police took the suspect into custody. He drove to a police parking lot after the attacks. Police drew their guns when they found him and ordered him out of his car. He was thrown to the ground and arrested. Authorities identified the suspect as 67-year-old Chun-Li Zhao. A gun was found in his car. Officials believe Zhao is a worker at one of the facilities. They say the victims were likely workers as well. Half Moon Bay is about 30 miles south of San Francisco. A motive is not yet known. And an update on the Monterey Park shooting. An 11th person has died from injuries. They passed away in the hospital yesterday. Investigators are still searching for a motive. 42 bullet casings were collected from the scene. Police officers searched the suspect's home. That was in a gated senior community in the town of Hemet. Here's the Los Angeles County Sheriff on what they found. We recovered one 308 caliber rifle, numerous electronic devices such as cell phones, computers, etc. Items that lead us to believe the suspect was manufacturing homemade firearm suppressors. And there are hundreds of rounds. We don't know exactly how many there were. 
a lot of loose ammunition. There's information out there uh, that the suspect may have committed uh, these crimes, and I'm paraphrasing, due to jealousy or some relationship issues. Uh, we're hearing those things too, but have not confirmed any of that information. It's part of what our investigators are diligently looking into. Surveillance footage of the shooter has been released. You can see him holding a gun with some kind of silencer on it. Emmett police released a statement yesterday. They say the suspect came into the department twice in early January. He was making claims of past fraud, theft, and poisoning allegations involving his family dating back 10 to 20 years. Police say he told them he would come back with documentation about his claims, but never did. The Los Angeles County Sheriff says the handgun recovered from the suspect's van was registered to the suspect. He also said the suspect had a limited past criminal history that included an arrest for unlawful possession of a firearm back in 1990. The Illinois Attorney General wants to reinstate a strict gun control law. The state's governor signed the law earlier this month, but it's now blocked by a temporary restraining order. The case against the law argues that it began as a run-of-the-mill insurance regulation. However, it was changed two days before the final vote, and the sponsors added strict gun control regulations with little or no public input. The state constitution requires three readings of a bill before passage. Those against the bill claim that all the readings happened before the changes when the bill was only about insurance. But the state attorney general still wants the gun control law put in place. His lawyers argue that if the legislature fails to follow constitutionally prescribed procedures, the court isn't the proper venue for a complaint. And still to come, digital payment technology has grown and with it, so has new ways to request tips. But are the constant requests pushing consumers into tipping fatigue? We have that and more just after the break. One of the biggest human smuggling incidents near the Bahamas happened over the weekend. The U.S. Coast Guard detained a boat carrying just shy of 400 Haitians. Immigration officials in the Bahamas reported the details on Sunday. A U.S. Coast Guard spokeswoman told AP that the Haitians were found on a 50-foot boat Saturday afternoon. They were detained close to the Quezal Island located between Florida and Cuba. Officials said the Haitians will be processed in the Bahamas and later repatriated. Down on the U.S. border with Mexico, homes broken into in the middle of the night, school districts forced to erect military barriers to protect students from smugglers. Walking outside on private property after dark, no longer safe. That's according to Kenny County, Texas Sheriff Brad Coe. The county has bypassed President Biden and is asking for help from the state of Texas and its neighbors like Oklahoma, Arkansas, and others. We hear analysis from a former law enforcement officer on how to stop violent individuals from entering the country and a record migrant surge. Joining me now is Victor Avila, retired special agent with Homeland Security Investigations. It's great to have you with us, Victor. Thanks for having me back, Kevin. People on terror watch lists are being encountered at the border at a much higher rate in recent years. According to CBP data, agents stopped 38 terror watch list individuals since October. What do you think is driving this trend and what can be done to stop it? And that's, the, that's one of the, the major things that I think is overlooked a lot. And this is the national security and public safety issue that we need to look at. As you mentioned, just 38 from this fiscal year of October uh, to the present, but over 150 
over the past two years alone. And these are individuals, uh, basically terrorists. They're on the no-fly list, on the terror watch list that we have identified as potential terrorist threats to the United States. These are people that, uh, under the Department of Homeland Security, we, can, we call them special interest aliens, or SIAs, and come from countries that are sponsored, uh, terrorism-sponsored countries like Somalia, uh, Bangladesh, uh, and others, Iraq, Afghanistan, that uh, are coming in through Mexico. Why? Because they know, like all the other millions of people that have come through there, that the border is unsecure, and they're able to infiltrate themselves in some of these groups and enter this uh, country either undetected uh, and uh, set up shop here in the United States. And what is the risk to national security that this poses? And are there MS-13 gang members coming through at an alarming rate as well? Absolutely. Um, it's a tremendous amount of gang members, uh, people with criminal histories. Uh, there's an MS-13 gang member uh, that came in as an unaccompanied minor at, at the age of 17 that is now accused in Maryland of strangling a 20-year-old uh, woman, autistic woman, strangling to, her to death. These are the real stories that continue to happen in the United States where people from other countries and other parts of the world come to the United States and commit crimes. Now, I understand it's not everyone that does that, but we have too many that are. Another, another number I'll throw at you is 38 uh, sex offenders just in this month of alone, in the month of January of 2023, have been detected in the southern uh, Rio Grande Valley sector of Border Patrol in Texas. 38 sex offenders trying to come back into the country. Public safety is always a very important issue. Some numbers here, 2.1 million gotaways. Agents confirm that, under the migrants under the Biden administration. CBP saw about 700,000 border encounters in the first 100 days of the fiscal year. The administration has attributed this to an annual surge. What's your reaction? Well, uh, I'll tell you, the surge is due to this administration and the invitation that I given to the rest of the world, really telling them that they're not going to abide by our own uh, United States immigration law, they're not going to abide by our own asylum criteria, and they're just going to allow people in. There is no true vetting of these individuals. That's why we're talking about these crimes. And when you don't have the ability and the time to process these individuals correctly. When you hear the term process by Border Patrol, they're, they're, they're streamlining these individuals as quickly as they can. And you have uh, unaccompanied minors, children placed with sponsors that they shouldn't be placed. You have people going to locations that they shouldn't be going. And you have individuals that are not vetted properly infiltrating our country and becoming your neighbor. And this is where the public safety issue lies. And so, um, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a simple thing uh, to solve this, is to go back and start enforcing our own immigration and border security laws. We don't need new laws. We just need our border agents to start enforcing the laws. But attached to that is to continue to prosecute those individuals that come into this country illegally with the help of the Department of Justice as well. Yes, good vetting is very important. Victor Avila, retired special agent with HSI ICE, it's always great to have you with us. Thank you. A Seattle medical examiner's office is running out of space to store bodies. The culprit? Rampant fentanyl overdoses across the city. The Seattle King County Public Health Director believes 2022 set another grim record for fatal overdoses. He predicts the data will show more than double the number of deaths compared to 2019. 
A public health spokesperson says temporary options include storing the deceased on autopsy gurneys and in funeral homes. Fentanyl is now involved in about 70% of King County overdose deaths as of late 2022. Meanwhile, a record 310 homeless people died in the Seattle area last year. That breaks a previous record of 195 homeless deaths from 2018. And on the streets of New York City, crime has banks worried. Chase Bank is no longer offering 24-hour service at some of its ATMs in the city. In the announcement yesterday, the bank cited rising crime and vagrancy for its decision. Chase has several hundred branches in the city. A spokesperson said only a small number of machines will no longer offer the 24-hour service. Instead, those machines will shut down earlier in the evening. Mayor Eric Adams wasn't happy with the decision and said more needs to be done to make people feel safe in the city. Crime in New York was up by over 23% last year, though shootings and murders fell. Tipping is up almost everywhere. Roughly over the last year, tips at full-service restaurants grew by over 25%, while gratuities at quick or counter-service restaurants went up by almost 17%. As inflation stresses the pockets of Americans nationwide, what's behind the rise in tipping? Suddenly, we're in situations where we're being asked to tip where previously it was at our discretion or not at all. In fact, even Starbucks has recently introduced tip screens at point of purchase, which they had not had previously, only tip jars, if that at all. New digital checkout screens are prompting customers to leave a gratuity, even for transactions that didn't traditionally require it. But businesses aren't complaining and welcome the additional income that accompanies the checkout technology. Here we do like 18%, 20%, 22%, and it's easier for a person to choose those options, press a button, and you don't have to think about it. It's just reaction. And anytime you have a suggested tip amount, whether it's on a printed bill or whether it's on a computer screen that you press, it's always going to make it easier for a customer to want to leave a gratuity. But is it getting out of hand or even invasive? Some fed-up consumers are complaining about tip requests at drive throughs while others say they're tired of being asked to leave a gratuity for a muffin or a simple cup of coffee at their neighborhood bakery. Tipping went from service industry, restaurants, salons, rideshare, for example. All of a sudden, everyone seems to be wanting to get tips. Unlike tip jars that shoppers can easily ignore if they don't have spare change, experts say digital requests can produce social pressure and are formatted to be difficult to bypass. And your generosity, or lack thereof, can be seen by anyone close enough to glance at the screen, including the workers. Although digital payment methods have been around for a number of years, experts say the pandemic has accelerated their use and the trend towards more tipping. An artificial intelligence system called ChatGPT has passed a graduate-level business exam. It was held at the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School. The AI system reportedly displayed a remarkable ability to automate the skills of high-paid knowledge workers. That includes abilities for jobs held by MBA graduates like analysts, managers, and consultants. The chatbot also performed professional tasks like writing software code and preparing legal documents. But, some, but it did make some glaring errors. For example, the AI system made what researchers called surprising mistakes and relatively simple calculations on sixth grade level math problems. But with minimal human input, the bot was in researchers' words, remarkably good at modifying its answers in response to human hints. 
And still to come, business owners in Japan are in a difficult situation over inflation. The government's call to raise wages is not easy to answer. And South Korea is considering a new labor law. It would provide a flexible cap on overtime for the country's workforce. We'll have the details soon when we return. Welcome back. A new investigation into the true COVID death toll in China. Estimates in just one Chinese city far exceed the official total for the entire country. Entity's Tiffany Meyer has the report. China's official COVID-19 death toll facing new questions. The death toll in one single city now twice as high as the official death toll for the whole country. Shanghai is China's financial hub. The death toll in the city has been increasing dramatically since early December, when the Chinese Communist Party lifted pandemic restrictions. Reporters from NTD's sister media, The Epoch Times, reached out to Shanghai's funeral homes by phone. Analyzing their public data, they estimate that right now, at least 2,640 human remains are being burned daily in the city. That's 10 times the amount for a normal year. Even running at this speed, the city's current funeral home capacity still can't cover demand. There are now about 30,000 corpses on wait lists for cremation. The longest wait time at one local funeral home is two weeks. Removing the estimated numbers of natural deaths from that tally, about 125,000 people in Shanghai could have died of COVID-19 from the beginning of December to last week. That's more than twice the death toll the Chinese Communist Party recently announced for the whole of China, which sits at 60,000. The Chinese Communist Party said critical COVID-19 cases have peaked in China, suggesting the country's situation will start to improve. But the fact is, funeral products are still in short supply in different cities. We spoke with several manufacturers to find out more. While COVID-19 deaths are straining China's hospitals and funeral homes, makers of funeral supplies are also putting in extra hours. An urn manufacturer says their products are in short supply due to tremendous demand. We can't manage to produce that many before the Lunar New Year because this year, to be honest, there are too many deaths and too much demand. That's why we couldn't make it. Yang added that production will only be able to catch up after February. Unable to procure caskets, some funeral homes have resorted to wrapping bodies in white sheets. For families that can afford neither a coffin nor funeral services, they have no choice but to settle for a simple burial. One urn manufacturer says he has never seen sales reach this level before. That's how the market is right now. It's just this time of year. It's never happened before. Because of the pandemic, isn't it? Aren't you aware of that? Orders for cremation furnaces are also growing, as funeral homes rush to cremate remains. Cremator manufacturers are feeling the pinch, but say they can't do anything about it. They're not in stock right now. There's nothing readily available. We can't make them. That's it. We aren't able to produce more. Other funeral supply makers say production may resume in a few weeks after workers return from the Lunar New Year holiday. A city in northern China is suffering from the coldest temperatures in its history. Locals have a unique way of telling just how cold it is. 
Chinese state media said Sunday morning the temperature in Moha was 63 degrees below zero. This broke the previous record of minus 62 set half a century ago. A local journalist used an experiment to prove it. She cracked an egg outside on a spatula. Footage shows it freezing in a matter of seconds. The reporter said the egg whites had already formed ice crystals. Moha is located at the northernmost point of China, sharing a border with Russia. Over in Japan, everyday consumers and store owners are bracing for the impacts of rising inflation. The government is calling for businesses to raise their wages for employees. In Japan, costs have risen for everything, from shipping to packaging to electricity. Supermarket owner Hiromichi Akiba says he built his bustling business through close ties with his neighborhood, and that's why he can't hike prices. Mathematically speaking, you would think it was okay to raise the price of your products when your costs and other expenses have gone up. But when I look my customers in the eye, I can't do it. It's a tough situation to be in right now. Akiba has been trying to cut the expenses of his store by switching off some of the lights. But he said he still can't afford to increase wages. Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida's administration has been calling on businesses to do so. It's not as easy as just doing what the government has asked for. The cost of a lot of things are going up, and I feel that I'd like to increase my employees' base pay, even if it's just a little. But the reality is that things just aren't that easy. 19-year-old college student Taro Yamada is a part-timer at the supermarket. He said a pay rise would be welcome, enabling him to eat a more balanced and healthy diet. I think I saw on TV that it's the full-time employees of big companies who are getting a raise. But I guess there's no help in my situation because I'm a part-timer. A shopper at the supermarket also comments on the rising inflation in Japan. She says wages in Japan have stayed stagnant for many years. Well, nothing has changed in Japan for 30 years regarding wages. So when the cost of goods rises sharply and wages do not, I think that clearly in the future the rate of poverty will really increase. I think the government has to enact policies to keep things in balance. The weak yen jacked up prices for imported meats, fruits and vegetables. Even domestic items were pricier, since feed and fertilizer are often imported. South Korea is set to announce a labor reform bill next month. The legislation hopes to give some flexibility to the nation's workforce. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on the proposed law. Office workers can spend their lunch at a nap cafe in Seoul. Here, overworked people can take a Korean siesta. I usually take a cat nap during lunchtime. I can't get enough sleep as I need to take care of my work, relationship and personal life. So I take this time to sleep. Under a new bill, workers will be able to choose how much overtime work they can take on, weekly, monthly, or even annually. It's a departure from the 52-hour workweek cap enacted in 2018. The government believes that by providing more labor flexibility, workers will end up working less. It also says workers will be allowed to spend accrued overtime hours on vacations, but it also opens the potential to work longer hours. For some, this could discourage them from having children. I had no choice but to quit my job where I worked for more than 14 years because I have to take care of my son, and now I'm focusing on raising my child. However, if the government continues its policy of increasing working hours in the future, I can't even dream of having a second child at all. The country already has the lowest fertility rate in the world and a rapidly aging population.
the working age population peaked at 38 million in 2019. That number is expected to drop by more than 9 million by 2040. I think it's very important to reform the system of long working hours to solve the low birth rate problem. Working long hours gives unmarried people a very tiring life, which eventually leads to them avoiding marriage. Therefore, in order to solve the phenomenon of avoiding marriage, it is necessary to reduce long working hours. Some are also skeptical about the proposal due to the social nuances of work in South Korea, where workers don't want to be perceived as slacking off. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Staying in South Korea, harsh weather disrupted travel on the last day of the Lunar New Year holiday today. Weather authorities issued cold wave alerts for most of the country. Morning temperatures dropped to just 2 degrees in Seoul and temperatures reached minus 14 degrees in a northern county. All 466 domestic flights and 10 international flights scheduled to fly to and from Jeju Island were canceled. Korean Airlines confirmed it had canceled 88 of its daily flights in and out of the island. The Lunar New Year is one of South Korea's two biggest holidays. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And just ahead, senior Ukrainian officials are resigning and other officials are being fired. An aide to the Ukrainian president says it answers public calls for justice. And the Russian president points out his country's medicine shortage despite a rise in domestic medicine production. More shortly here on NTD News Today. Several senior Ukrainian officials resign in the biggest leadership shakeup of the war with Russia so far. An aide to President Zelensky called it an answer to public calls for justice. Some of the resignations were linked with corruption allegations. Ukraine has a history of graft and shaky governance. It's now under international pressure to show it can be a reliable steward of billions of dollars in Western aid. Among those stepping down or fired Tuesday morning were a deputy prosecutor general, a deputy defense minister, and the deputy chief of staff in Zelensky's own office. Five regional governors were then dismissed. The charges come two days after a deputy infrastructure minister was arrested for siphoning off $400,000 from contracts to buy generators. The changes are a rare shakeup of an otherwise stable wartime leadership. When Zelensky was elected in a landslide in 2019, he promised to root out a corrupt political class. Meanwhile in Russia, President Vladimir Putin says there are shortages of some medicines and that prices have gone up despite the country producing more of its own drugs. Prescription drugs are exempt from Western sanctions imposed on Russia. However, their delivery has been hit by transport, insurance and customs hurdles. Putin said during a televised meeting that the nation has seen a shortage of some medicine. That's despite production rising by 22 percent in the first three quarters last year. He says 60 percent of Russia's drugs are made domestically, but Russia also imports pacemakers and a large share of its medical equipment from the EU and the United States. It's most reliant on imports for the most complex and critical machines. A Russian man has been living in South Korea's international airport since mid-November. He's trying to escape being drafted. Entity's Andrew Thomas has the latest as the young man waits for a decision on asylum. Vladimir Maraktayev has been living in an airport departure lounge for two months now. 
In September, the linguistic student left home in Siberia and fled into neighboring Mongolia. We didn't want it to run away, uh, but in, in life, there's no good and bad choices. There's sometimes uh, lesser evil you have to choose just to run away than uh, not to kill people, not to die yourself. After traveling on to the Philippines, he flew to South Korea on November 12th. He hoped to receive refugee status. But South Korean authorities determined that fleeing conscription wasn't a valid reason for asylum. After a six-day stint in a detention center, he was returned to the airport. He hasn't left since. All day I do basically nothing. Like I, I wake up, I have some food that the Ministry of Justice provides us, um, I have a walk, um, then I just, I don't know, start to read the books, maybe try to learn uh, Korean. He's appealed the ruling and must remain inside the terminal building while he waits for the decision. He is one of five Russians stranded in the country's main international airport, waiting for their asylum cases to be appealed. At the new year, I bought myself a coffee uh, because I, I found that I must treat myself somehow, one way or another, at the new year. Because every new year, I was spending with my family and friends. Marek Tayev's native region of Buryatia saw one of the most aggressive mobilization campaigns in Russia. He said that one of his closest school friends has already been killed in Ukraine. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Over in Norway, the country's Supreme Court is hearing arguments on Arctic snow crab fishing. This is a case that could decide which country has the right to explore for oil and minerals in the region. The case is about whether European Union ships can fish for snow crab off the Arctic islands north of Norway in the same way that Norwegian vessels do. Norway is not part of the EU. A Latvian fisheries company applied in 2019 for a fishing license, but Norway declined. The Latvian firm cited a 1920 treaty which grants Norway sovereignty over the Arctic islands with the condition that other signatories have access to their territorial waters. This case could have far-reaching implications because the treaty could also apply to oil, gas, minerals, and fish. And coming up, France commemorates the anniversary of King Louis XVI's death, celebrating the virtues and traditions that marked his reign. And a painting in a German office building discovered to be stolen by Nazis, now it's up for sale in New York along with other works. A 17th century masterpiece is leading the sale. More when we return. In France, some churches over the weekend commemorated the anniversary of King Louis XVI's death under the guillotine. It was a meaningful moment for those who fondly remember the king's reign, along with old ways and traditions that disappeared with him. Entity's France correspondent David Vives has the story. Here's where it happened 230 years ago. At the Place de la Concorde in Paris, King Louis XVI was beheaded by French revolutionaries. The king's wife, Marie-Antoinette, was killed ten months later, and only one of their four children lived to adulthood. Some descendants of the king's family members showed up on this cold morning to honor their ancestor. 
Joël de Montredon says the execution was an upsetting moment. We hope many people keep his memory in their hearts and will transmit the glory and the benevolence of this king to their children and families until the end of times. I think he has been killed because he was too good, too Christian. Many churches and cathedrals over the weekend held events to commemorate the king's death. In this Parisian church, many Parisians attended the mass. Louis XVI, as the other French kings before him, had a special place in people's hearts. Some French still mourn the king's reign. For Noah Legendre, the death of the French king and the end of the monarchy was a great loss. He says he regrets the disappearance of virtue and traditions that marked the reigns of Louis XVI. When you are led by God or Jesus, well, you are blessed in your life. And when these figures are reincarnated in French royalty, you are also inspired to do good things, to be good. And that's part of what has kept France going for a thousand years. Now, the modern worldview has led us to lose ourselves for 250 years. We have been only going downward. We forgot everything from the past. And with every new thing that's created, we have dismantled the moral order. The beheading of the king was followed by many more. Figures show that almost 40,000 people were sentenced to death by the Revolutionary Tribunal in only two years, during a period called the Reign of Terror. The revolution and the terror that followed are considered one of the most barbaric periods of French history. Some French consider the killing of the king as a crime against heaven. The king was sacred. He was anointed by an archbishop. I mean, the king was not a mere citizen, just placed above others. He had a religious function. He was, in fact, of the supreme authority, just below God. From the moment the king's head was cut off, the function was desecrated. And it's truly a sacrilege, from a religious point of view, that's for sure. And the revolutionaries understood it that way. According to historian Marion Sigaud, the main cause of the king's demise was exploding national debt. She says Louis was advised to take decisions that would bring starvation to parts of the French people without realizing it. The philosophical and anti-religious movement de Lumière which turned against traditional values, also caused the king's demise in the French hearts. The people regarded him as their loving father. The king lost his head during the Age of Enlightenment. He lost it in the hearts of the French before he lost it on the guillotine. When the king arrived at the guillotine, he no longer had any power. David Vives, NTD News, Paris. Sotheby's New York is offering a glimpse of artwork from centuries past. That's ahead of its 2023 Master's Week sale coming up on Thursday. Among the highlights is Salome presented with the head of St. John the Baptist. It's part of the Fish Davidson collection of Baroque masterpieces. The painting was created by Peter Paul Rubens in 1609. It depicts the moment just after King Herod's beheading of St. John the Baptist. The work is expected to fetch around 25 to 35 million dollars. Rubens was a prolific Flemish Baroque painter of the 17th century. Many of his works draw on Christian history. It is also known for painting mythological subjects. Very often when you think of uh, Rubens, you think of these incredibly elegant courtly pictures, uh, which he is very famous for, you know, beautiful women, gods, goddesses, Madonnas, really lovely, lush pictures. 
This, however, is an early work when he just comes back from Italy uh, after a number of years and paints in his native Antwerp and becomes really an overnight sensation uh, back home. Uh, it's one of a group of pictures with kind of intense subject matter. Another highlight is a newly rediscovered portrait by Bronzino dating from around 1527. The painting was stolen by the Nazis about 80 years ago. The woman who owned it was killed in a concentration camp. After that, the painting ended up hanging in a German office building until 2021. The family of its original owner then recovered it. Proceeds from its sale will go to charities that support victims of the Holocaust. Sotheby's estimates that its Master's Week sale will bring in more than $100 million in revenue. And still to come, a woman in Kenya turns her home into a cat shelter for some 600 felines. For local cats, the sanctuary is the most popular place to stay. And in New York, three peacocks from a church have retired after two decades of charming the community. We'll be back with more soon here on NTD News. American skier Michaela Schifrin claimed a record 83rd World Cup victory today, becoming the most successful female skier of all time. Schifrin led the first leg of the giant slalom in Italy, and on the second leg, she clinched the victory by a third of a second. She was crowned with gold, marking her ninth win of the season. The win broke a tie with former U.S. teammate Lindsey Vaughn on the women's all-time list. Vaughn retired four years ago because of an injury. Schifrin now needs only three more wins to match the male record of 86 victories set by a Swedish alpine skier. After a short break, Schifrin plans to travel to France for competitions in February. A woman in Kenya has modified her home into a cat shelter. She cares for hundreds of felines, giving them food and medical care. Entity's Andrew Thomas has more. In the outskirts of Nairobi, Rachel Kabue has earned herself the nickname Catwoman. She's turned her four-bedroom home into a shelter for some 600 cats. Well, I've heard a lot about that. I didn't know about cats, that they are demons and shetani, but I like to tell people that's not the case because I have so many cats have passed through my hands, so many cats are living here, but I've never encountered any of those things. The 51-year-old started the Nairobi Feline Sanctuary at her house in 2020. She describes how people can relate to cats. These are animals, they are sentient, just like you and me, and they need care, they feel pain, they feel happiness, they feel sadness, they get depressed just like us, so there is no difference, and they are not sinister or anything. It's very hard for a cat to attack a human being. Kabue takes in cats from the street that need shelter and medical care. Later, she puts them up for adoption. For her, there's no such thing as too many felines. No cats are too many. What would limit us is the space. We are quickly running out of space, but there are still very many cats that need shelter, that are out there in the streets and need shelter, especially the sick ones and the, the, ones, the ones that are waiting to have kittens. Despite growing financial costs needed to look after the pets, Kabue is still taking in more cats in need. She relies on her family to assist with money and supplies. For cats in Nairobi, the feline sanctuary is the most popular place to stay, but they might have to wait their turn for a saucer of milk. Andrew Thomas, 
NTD News. A wayward seal in Cape Elizabeth, Maine, made several trips into town on Monday. The first sighting was early, about 1.30 in the morning. Police captured the seal and released it back into the ocean, but just hours later, they say it came back. The seal was once again captured and returned to the water, but it refused to be turned away. One hour later, the seal returned for a third time to the seaside park near where it had been released to the ocean. The third capture and release seems to have worked. The curious marine animal was not seen again. In Upper Manhattan, three peacocks at the Cathedral of St. John the Divine are set to retire. The trio has been strutting on cathedral grounds for over 20 years. A church official said the peacocks were a gift from an eighth grade class in 1972. They were tiny babies when they arrived, but they started to attract attention as they grew up. The community believes the peacocks added some magic to the area. Among the three, Phil is a white peacock, while Jim and Harry are Indian blue peacocks. Harry was found with a bruised foot one morning a few months ago and has now arrived at an animal shelter in upstate New York. The remaining two were also sent there over the weekend. Church staff were both happy and sad about their retirement. I've been taking care of them for over two years, and they're like my, my feather babies. <laughs> um, oh, my goodness, sorry. Oh, goodness. Um, I, I take good care of them. They know me. You know, I buy them peanuts, <laughs> um, almonds, and everything. And um, I like on Sundays when, they, when um, people come and they ask questions about them. And I'll be so excited. And Phil, the white one, um, he likes to, when, as soon as he sees your camera, he opens up and he takes his foot, he does his foot like this here. <laughs> and he turns all the way around, he does a little prolay like this. <laughs> the liveliness and the love and how they bring community together. You know, there's so many people. You don't sort of think about how divided we are when you're with these peacocks. It's just about love and beauty and magic. You know, I mean, they're like, they're like a, you know, whatever you think about the um, realms of the sacred, the peacocks add this sort of spiritual dimension that, you know, pulls people together in awe. And so that's what I'm going to miss. The peacocks' new home is more than an hour away from the cathedral, run entirely by volunteers. The church says it decided to move the peacocks because they need more care and attention than church staff can provide. The Navy has decided to award the Navy Cross, its second highest military honor, to a 97-year-old former Navy pilot. It's been over 70 years since he single-handedly beat out seven Soviet fighter jets. During the Korean War, Royce Williams was on air patrol near the North Korean border when seven Soviet MiG-15s came out of nowhere. His aircraft was significantly outgunned, but through a series of maneuvers, Williams was able to shoot down four of the seven planes. The 35-minute air battle is one of the longest recorded in naval air history, but U.S. administrations had forbidden him from discussing the battle for over 50 years. This was due to the need to hide Soviet engagement with the U.S. during the Korean War. People today are living longer, and of course this is a good thing, but we need to prepare for retirement. Looking toward a brighter future begins with minding matters and habits today. Here's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body. In the 1960s, people could expect to live only about a decade after retirement. 
Now, many live three decades past retirement. This is leaving many seniors fearful their resources could give out before they do. The more chronic conditions you have to manage, the more your money goes out the window. In addition to paying more for insurance, your out-of-pocket healthcare costs eat away at your retirement savings. That's assuming you have some savings to draw from. According to a 2016 report from the Insured Retirement Institute, the situation is grim. They found that nearly half of American baby boomers have nothing stashed away for retirement. They expect to primarily live off their social security payments. Throw into the mix several thousand dollars worth of credit card debt and a handful of chronic health conditions. You can see why a growing number of seniors face a bleak financial future. The solution is to make some small lifestyle changes today. 85% of US healthcare costs stem from managing chronic diseases. These are mostly caused by factors we can control. Ingesting toxins such as tobacco, making poor food choices, lacking in physical activity and not managing stress. The answer is simply eat better, exercise more and save your money for a rainy day. But humans have long been seduced by the live for the moment mentality. Why eat healthy when junk food is so tasty, convenient and cheap? Why exercise when you can camp out on the couch and binge watch Netflix? Why save for an extravagant purchase when you can buy it now with a credit card or a high interest loan? Succumbing to instant gratification as a life strategy has taken a huge toll. Two thirds of the US American population are overweight or obese. Nearly half don't pay off their credit cards every month. According to a recent survey from the Federal Reserve, the average US household owes more than $15,000 in credit card debt at an average interest rate of 15%. The sooner you take steps to preserve your health and wealth, the less struggle you'll likely experience in your golden years. That's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. Please send us an email if you'd like to tell us something. We're going to put it on screen. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.